There are two trees that are in bloom in this street. A big one on my left, on the other side of the road, and with nice white flowers, and then here on the right, a big tree with, with uh, pink flowers. And the weather today has been all over the place. <laughs> we've had sunshine, blue skies, we've had gray clouds, then we had lots and lots of rain that turned into hail, and then we got thunderstorms. And uh, it's finally, finally calming down a little bit. There are a couple of teens there dancing on the street, literally. I've never seen that in this neighborhood. But uh, they probably also enjoy the fact that uh, it's a calm spring evening. And uh, the sun is, uh, is already gone. The sky is turning dark blue. And uh, the lights in the houses and the living rooms here are on. People are watching TV. And I wanted to go out for a walk. And this is my final walk before my birthday tomorrow. I'm recording this on April the 4th, tomorrow, April the 5th. It will be exactly 50 years ago that I was born into this world. I'm a child of 1968, and uh, it's uh, another decade that goes by. Nothing too dramatic, though. I, don't, I really don't understand why people get so upset about aging. I think I've mentioned this probably, I don't know, 10 years ago when I was recording an episode about turning 40, that I just didn't get what the whole fuzz was about. Um, I actually enjoy getting older. Um, it has its downsides, like anything else in life, but also has a, a lot, a lot of advantages. Um, the most important advantage of growing older is that you learn. You have so much experience behind you that you can then share. And uh, uh, I remember that when I was 28 and I started my work as a priest, one of my major issues was that I had to help and talk to people, help them, accompany them uh, in my parish that sometimes were three times as old as I was and had gone through so much in their lives. Whereas I came straight from university, I had only studied, I was a geek, and I didn't know anything about life. <laughs> and as a result, probably also not much about faith, even though, of course, you've studied theology, but there is much more to faith than just uh, theoretical knowledge or philosophical insights. Faith is something that needs to be lived, and that deepens itself, grows with experience, and... Uh, and gets richer with experience. You start to, I, I understand some texts in the Bible much better now that I'm older than I, than I did uh, when I came straight from university because uh, the stories in the Bible are stories of faith and stories that tell us how people tried to live their lives with God with all the failures and mistakes and sins but also with the, the moments of joy and laughter and success and, and, and hope, well, the, the more you live, the, the more you understand that. I hear music. Where's that coming from? You hear that? This is live music. And it's coming from this building here on my left. 
wow, I think this must be a rehearsal, uh, rehearsal, rehearsal building for a local orchestra. That sounds awesome. Wow, that's great. <laughs> it's actually, it's a school, or this is part of a school. Um, and I think the, the room where they are uh, rehearsing is actually the sports hall, or how you call it. I never knew that was one big building. From the other side, it just looks like a, uh, just a part of the offices of the school, but I guess that it's just one big room. Let me see their windows on the front. Let me see. Oh, yeah, I can see them. Lots of trumpets and drums and whatnot. Very cool. So you discover new things after all these years here in Amersfoort. It's been almost... I came here in 2003, so it's been like almost uh, 15 years that I've been here. It's, it's crazy. Time flies by so quickly especially when you're getting older. My experience is that it seems as if the years go by at twice the speed um, that, that they had in, 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 in the early days of my life. And that too is a good thing. It means I'm busy. It means uh, uh, life is full of things. I mean, nothing is uh, moving life. Nothing is slowing life down more than, than, than boredom and having nothing to do and not knowing what to do and the more you enjoy think i mean time flies for when you're having fun <laughs> that is a, that's a very true expression so tomorrow i'm turning 50 and uh i wanted to i've i've thought about how to mark that occasion of course and uh one thing that i knew it, it, even years before was that i did not want to celebrate my 50th birthday in um, the old-fashioned um, parish pastor way. I remember that when I was a, an altar boy, our uh, local parish priest turned, I think, 60 or 65, and there was this big party in, the, in one of the uh, buildings adjacent to the church, and there was this long line, and everybody was giving our pastor uh, cigars and wine, and there were, people composed songs, and... And he enjoyed it so much. He, he reveled in, in being applauded by all his parishioners. I mean, it was, he deserved it. He was a hardworking, nice uh, priest, very uh, dedicated. But I, I also, as a child, thought it was a bit strange that someone who was actually supposed to live a life of detachment was... Uh, that the entire party was about him... And so I was like, yeah, when I get to that age, mil a million years from now, I don't want to celebrate it like that. And uh, that feeling has only grown stronger over the years, and especially in the last few years, where I've uh, gone through so many personal changes, and, uh, and I've, I've, I've evolved so much in, in how I look at my, my role in life and what, what I'm supposed to be or what I want to be. I, I knew one thing for sure, and that is I want my life not to be about me anymore. I want to be serving others. I want to help others. And so if I have a birthday, I don't want to um, 
I don't I don't want that to be about me but let me think about ways in which I can I can make that uh, an occasion to congratulate others to to bring joy to the lives of others and and of course by celebrating a birthday that's also what you do it's not just um, something selfish um, giving people the occasion to meet and to have a fun day or evening that's that's a value in itself but I wanted to do something different and I'm approaching the uh, uh, the bridge over the river here with the train tracks on the right and then on the left is this beautiful rebuild uh, medieval uh, portal of the city and it looks like something from a fairy tale especially now that uh, it's dark outside and it's lit so beautifully with all the the new LED lights in the distance I can see the big tower of the Our Lady um, also beautifully lit this is such a gorgeous city. I mean, who needs who, <laughs> who needs wallpaper when you live in a city like this? <laughs> Just go outside and enjoy. Um, and so uh, I, I read a couple of we- months, well, probably a couple of weeks ago, I read an article um, written by a pastor who was um, uh, telling us the story of how he wanted to... <laughs> He was thinking also about a birthday party, and I don't even know what what age he was celebrating. But then he thought, why don't I organize a party like the ones that Jesus recommends? <laughs> and uh, that was literally a, a, a game changer for him. He decided to, instead of inviting all his friends and his family, and to have a party just for them and... Uh, uh, with presents and nice food and everything is like oops, that's a train passing over my head he um he's like i'm going literally to the 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 crossroads to the streets and i'm going to invite those that are unable to pay me back f- for that struggle in life that never are invited to any party um and i am going to celebrate that my, my birthday with them and my friends and my family they'll have to come back <laughs> I'm not going to invite them and somehow that struck a nerve I was like wow that is you know why not it's actually so weird that I read the gospel on a daily basis and you, you read all these bible stories and somehow what, what I often fail to do is to apply that to my day to day life I mean you get these insights and you sometimes you read these stories or this this recommendation by Jesus and then you're just like well isn't that wonderful that you know the poor and the marginalized uh, come first in the kingdom of God amen and that's it <laughs> and then you stop and you don't apply it and so I was like I felt that almost like an invitation to do something more for a change and so I had a a talk with uh uh, a woman who works here in Amersfoort among the homeless. And I kind of pitched that to her. I was like, would you think that something like that um, would be helpful? And if I would like, if I wanted to do that, how would I go about organizing something like that? And uh, the first thing she said was, it's, it's going to be very hard to 
invite people to, for instance, into your parish. If you organize that near your church, no one's going to show up. Because that's, a, that's for the homeless uh, people in the city, that's not a safe environment. I mean, that's not an environment in which they feel safe. They don't know your parish. They don't know you. And uh, it's much better to go to a place where they are already gathering and pick a time when they are already there. And then, and then do something for them. It's a guy, I don't know what he's doing. With his car playing music. And so she, uh, all of a sudden, she's like, well, you know what? Uh, we, we always invite the homeless on um, the day after Easter for an Easter brunch. And uh, it's very simple. It's just, and we, don't, we never know how many people will show up. But once a year, we just want to mark the the feast of easter by getting together and having a simple you know breakfast brunch type of, of meal perhaps you could organize that this year and do the groceries and and then she started thinking you know well you could for instance you could get this and this and then the where some of the homeless people were complaining that they hadn't had any good cheese for years and so if you get some really good cheese they'll enjoy that and so I immediately was like that that's great that's I can do that and so on uh, Good Friday of all days I went to uh, to the, the the two supermarkets in my neighborhood uh, several times because I was on foot um, buying food for um, about 15 people it was a rough estimate. Again, it would have been possible that no one showed up and we'd only be there with a couple of volunteers and then that would be it. But um, I just made sure that I had food enough to feed about 15 to 20 people. And, uh, and I, uh, on the, the day after Easter, which in the Netherlands is still a, a holiday, and uh, there was a mass in church, and the, so there was a mass uh, in the morning uh, for uh, the mentally disabled, um, which is always a, a nice occasion. And I was with the homeless people uh, in the in the heart of the city, and uh, to my great joy, uh, lots of them showed up, and there were in total uh, about twenty people, perhaps even more. And uh, some of them went away, and then others came in. And, and it was, there was such a good mood and the food was good and everybody was enjoying it and had great conversations and again showed me something that I had already discovered uh, several times before is that you, you have these kind of cliche ideas about people that live on the streets. Uh, and what you often forget is that they are just as diverse as, um, as other people in society. And there are so many different backgrounds. Some of them are um, are sick, uh, or clearly have been living on the streets for for many years. Um, others um, are are using medication uh, because of psychological, psychiatric problems. But there are also people that live on the street because they lost their house because of stupid decisions by themselves or by others. They ran out of money, they couldn't pay the rent, and they were just kicked out. And uh, at one point I was talking to a guy, and I thought he was one of the volunteers. There's a number of the churches here in the city are helping to organize um, the uh, 
uh, the pastoral care of the homeless. And so we had a really good conversation, and towards the end, I'm starting to know, I'm starting to realize that actually he he himself is was homeless, and it was so such a a weird experience. It's like wow, I just couldn't believe that he was homeless. But it's it's in in a lot of the stories that you hear, they tell you that it's it's sometimes. Um, a very small distance between a, a, a normal life, let's say uh, a, a regular life where you have an income and a family and, and a home, and then a few years later, because of a few mistakes, you can lose all that. So it's, it's all very relative in a way. But nevertheless, there was a great morning and I was very... I didn't tell them, of course, that this was because of my birthday, because I was just getting to know them and and uh, I just wanted to hang out with them. But it's definitely something I want to do again. And it's, it's all about... This is something I learned in Rome uh, from my friends at uh, Sant'Egidio, Sant'Egidio, which is a, uh, a, a community that's now all over the world. Uh, and they care a lot about the homeless and the, the poor people and the children and families that are in difficult situations. And uh, while I was filming a, uh, a report on, on what they did in Rome, I was so struck by the fact that they called every... They talked about the homeless and about the poor as their friends. And it was always on a... Uh, how would you say that? As if there was no difference. It's not, you know, we're going to help these poor people. No, these people are our friends. They're just like you and me, and that's why we help them. And, and it was this, this huge respect that you could feel, and it was mutual. It was also, it's not just the rich people taking care of the poor, but also the poor, in a way, teaching the rich and helping them and, and forming one community. And, uh, I, and, and that was definitely something that I also felt uh, in our encounter on, uh, on the second day of Easter. It was just a lot of respect, and, uh, and and it was just a great way to to uh, to celebrate the feast of Easter. So <laughs> that was one thing. I also told my family and my friends, please don't don't give me any presents. Don't don't do that. Uh, I'm not going to throw a party. I told some of them that I was going to do this. Uh, Easter brunch for for the homeless and that that would be the way I wanted to celebrate my birthday um, now of course I don't know perhaps people will still show up and we'll get some coffee and I'm sure we'll have a nice morning tomorrow with uh, the parishioners um, but nothing fancy I didn't want to throw a big party and if people want to give me something then I'll just uh, invite them to uh, to give a gift to charity. There are so many people in the world that can use help, <laughs> whereas I'm trying to get rid of most of my stuff and to simplify and to declutter. So uh, instead of giving me more clutter <laughs> that I then have to declutter again, why not help people that have nothing? And, uh, and that'll be uh, something that brings joy to the world. And isn't that what ultimately is is the purpose of our lives is to try to spread the joy of 
being a community and being uh, brothers and sisters of each other. So uh, on this last day of my uh, <laughs> of me being 49 years old, uh, I wanted to do a quick summary of the of the the things that I've that I'm happy with, the the, the things that I'm proud of, um, and also some of my biggest regrets. And it's kind of a, an, uh, an examination of conscience uh, to think of things that I want to do from now on. You know, getting a year older is, is a nice occasion to, to um, make some new decisions and, or to uh, continue uh, doing certain things that have been changing your life. So let me start with the some of the things that I remember, and this is not an exhaustive list, of course. I didn't have much time to prepare. <laughs> um, but let me start with the, the, the best decisions in the past 50 years. And this is very random, but um, I think one of the best things that I've done was to read. To read tons and tons of books. I was addicted to reading as a child already. And... My life was filled with, um, well, with computers, with games, and with books. And uh, I, I think in a way, in a certain way, the games were kind of a, almost the same thing as, a, as books because they allowed me to, to expand my mind, to, to be in other realities, to be creative, um, to come up with stories. I'm going to turn... Uh, to the left here because there's a lot of noise coming from the road it's always when the streets are uh, wet like today after the hailstorm that we had earlier on it's as if the cars are twice as noisy but here is a traffic light and uh, I'll go to the park over there all right it's got a little countdown timer on the on the light that tells me when it's safe to Across the road, and there you go, it's green now. Would be a bad moment to get run over. <laughs> so, let's see, let me turn to the left here. Um, so, reading, I, I, I think that lately I've kind of rediscovered the value of reading and I enjoy reading again. Uh, for many years, I kind of denied myself the time to read. I always thought that I was too busy and that uh, uh, reading was just a very slow way of uh, acquiring information. But now I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying reading again in the same way as, uh, that I enjoyed it as a child. But it gave me also a huge um, ability, I think, to play with language and to learn other languages as well. As well. One of the reasons that I, uh, I'm very at ease in, in other languages that I, I read and I read so much in these languages. This also has to do with the second thing that I'm very happy with, a good decision in my life, was to, uh, to listen to the radio. And it's still the same today as it was when I was in uh, high school. I hardly ever listen to just music. I loved talk radio. I loved to listen to the news. And one of the stations that I was always listening to, um, let's say from the age of 12 to the age of 20, was the BBC. The BBC World Service. 
I had that on my um, on my alarm clock, which had an integrated radio. And then uh, when uh, the alarm would go off at six o'clock in the morning, it would uh, it would give me the beeps, the familiar beep beep beep, and it's. Six o'clock, BBC World Service, and then uh, you'd have the music, the the little jingle. There's this little ritual in the morning, and then for about half an hour, I'd listen to the latest news. And I think it helped me tremendously uh, learning English, uh, but also exp- hearing about the world is, is one of the things that I'm so glad about, that um, my parents have motivated us uh, their children to to look beyond the frontiers of, of just the Netherlands to realize that the world is much bigger than the country you live in and to have this this interest in um, in other countries and other cultures and other languages and history and all that and um, and that's a, the, the third thing that I'm very glad about is that I've traveled so much that I've been able to travel from the moment um, that we went on vacation and we would go to France, uh, we would go camping in Belgium, or we would go skiing in Switzerland or uh, in Austria. Um, we didn't go beyond that, actually. <laughs> but, and it's much later that um, uh, when I was uh, already in seminary, I went to Rome for the first time and discovered Italy. And then, of course, because of the international contacts that I had, th- thanks to the work that I did in new media... And that didn't start, by the way, with podcasting. Some of you may not know that, but my international media work started with Star Wars and me being part of this big Star Wars community. And I traveled to the United States for the premiere of The Phantom Manus and visited Skywalker Ranch and did all these crazy things that I never thought I'd ever do. And, um, and then later on, I traveled to Australia, to New Zealand. Um, I went to Africa for a for my TV work, uh, to uh, Ethiopia. Um, I've been to Brazil for World Youth Day. Um, and, and every year there are new countries. I try, actually, to, to pick new countries every, every time I travel, as much as I can, because sometimes, of course, these countries are too far away. And then perhaps my, my best foreign trip, the one that has changed me most, was last year... To, to Spain, walking from Lourdes in France all the way to Santiago and beyond that to um, Finisterra and, uh, and Muxia, um, on foot, you know, traveling all the way through northern Spain was the most life-changing uh, thing that I've ever done in my life. And I'm still, every day, I'm, uh, I think I, I witnessed the fruits of that pilgrimage and it, it taught me so much about what life is ultimately about and how simple life can be. And so much that I was worried about in the past and stressed about um, has actually had nothing to do with what life ultimately uh, should be and, and what I should do. And I, I discovered all, along the way how, how much of... Uh, some of my behavior was uh, the result of, of child traumas, fear of not being good enough, um, fear of failing, projecting on other people, um, 
the kind of the strict teachers that I was afraid of and I I, I reproject that on new people in my life that challenge me or pose a threat in my imagination and, and, and just understanding that and knowing that if I walk with Christ, if I walk on His way or with Him, He is the way, and that's all he, he wants me to do and that's all that is ultimately needed. All the rest is superfluous. All the rest is grace. You just need to be following Jesus in his footsteps and then the rest will come by itself and that I think delivered me from so much anxiety so much um, stress and fear and it still sometimes uh, re-emerges it's not that one pilgrimage of six weeks uh, cures everything at once but it is uh, much more of a more in the front of my mind every time I, I fall back into these patterns of behavior where I'm stressed out and anxious and I feel judged and everything, I remind myself that none of that truly matters as long as I try to walk with Christ and he walks with me, then all is good. And, uh, and that's extreme, that's a huge source of, of inner peace. And it has helped me also to let go of so many things that I thought I needed be it work, um, be it um, in, in a certain way success, although that's perhaps not the right word. It's like meaning some something, you know, this urge of like I, I need to reach the most people I can reach and a certain anxiety of, of, of uh, my work in the media never being good enough. Um, well... I just now I feel that I just do what I enjoy doing, what I feel called to do, and uh, the f- the fruits of that work are not up to me, and it will find its audience. And it's really not that important how many people you reach, but it's much more interesting to ask yourself: Well, does it help people? Does it change them? Does it does it give them joy? And, the, and, and as soon as you start to ask yourself those questions and you get feedback on that level, then a lot of the other stress falls away. You know, who cares? <laughs> if, I'd, I'd rather that... Uh, I'd, I'd rather have my shows meaning something to people at a, perhaps a difficult moment in their lives and that they feel that they have a friend and uh, that they're not alone. Um, I, that's worth so much more then having 20,000 uh, listeners or viewers that will just, you know, click like and then move on. It's, it's not about the quantity. It's about the, qu- the quality. And even that is ultimately not up to me. So, it's uh, <laughs> a bit of a, uh, a little uh, distraction. <laughs> but another thing that I, um, I think was a very good decision was reading the writings of Therese of Lisieux, um, this French saint uh, who lived in uh, a family felt called to become a nun, a Carmelite sister. And with a couple of her sisters, she entered the convent, got ill uh, in her 30s and died and did nothing spectacular, (laughs) really nothing. But she had a simplicity in her prayer and a way 
to talk with God and to look at at um, her life with God that was so disarming and helped me as a teenager. Well, I was 17, I thought. I think when I started reading that, it helped me so much to to get to know God in a way, to understand how you could uh, talk to God and how He looks at us, um, and it it it, uh, it lowered the threshold tremendously, and and and. God became a friend, and that's I, that has been the beginning of my vocation. And I think that Therese, not only her writings, but also her intercession, because I believe that the saints are still around, and they sometimes steer us and help us and pray for us. Well, I'm pretty positive that she played quite a, a big role in my life as a priest, and even the road towards the priesthood. Um... I also uh, think that it was a fantastic decision to go to Rome or to ask my bishop if, if I could study. It wasn't even, Rome was, it wasn't even in the picture at the time. I, I just wanted to uh, write a thesis. And I think that the initial motivation was definitely a need of being purified because I, I figured that I, I needed to have this career in in uh, this academic career and write books and be a teacher and you know be this great theologian and uh and there was a there was a genuine fascination with theology and that has never uh that hasn't changed but i think the ambition of studying was more motivated by the prestige of of, of writing a thesis um than what ultimately it it it, be, it became, which was ultimately it, it changed from studying um, in uh, in the Netherlands or in Germany, and and, and all of a sudden the people at the diocese mentioned Rome, and I was like, wait a minute, I never thought of that. And then I went to Rome and I started my thesis in theology, and then it turned into this study in social communications. Uh, which was something I did almost illegally <laughs> because I could and I, I was interested. And then it took over it, within a couple of weeks. I, I just knew that that was what I sh- was supposed to do there. And I think it, 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 it changed my life. It changed everything. I wouldn't be talking to you right now had that not happened. And, and how did this happen? I don't know. It's just a whole chain of, of um, coincidences <laughs> or providence. But it's not something that I planned, but it's something that just happened. And I recognized it as being God's will and, uh, and the whole uh, sequence of events that followed this decision to study social communications um, was a confirmation that that intuition was good. And I'm, I'm still glad that in a certain way I, was, I have been disobedient because I was not supposed to do social social communications in Rome. I was supposed to write a thesis about Hans von Balthasar. And I returned home with just a diploma in communications. And yet, I think it is exactly what I was supposed to do there. And it's so funny how sometimes um, the, the... Well, in a way, it, it, it's, it's another... And I've, I've noticed this m- many times in my life, that... Um, God often works through in your intuition, uses your intuition, um, 
it draws you toward toward him or in a direction pushes you in a direction and it's 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 not always very rational or very clear and or well thought out or even um uh responsible to do sometimes god just uses the moments where you're totally irresponsible and you do crazy stuff and that's where he finds a way to somehow be part of that process so there's a certain unpredictability a certain craziness in a way the the holy spirit works uh, there's a, there's an ele- a huge element of surprise and that's something that has been a constant factor in my life um let's see what else I think that's it. Well, and then, of course, the communications led to podcasting and starting my own podcast. And then the rest is history, literally. <laughs> I think that uh, I'm, I'm super happy that that is uh, work that I can do that brings together a talents that I had and an interest that I had and also a genuine need um, and a community that was looking for for the things that I try to do. So... Those are good decisions of the past 50 years. <laughs> and now let's go to the biggest regrets. <laughs> I have a couple. Um, one of my biggest regrets, uh, and perhaps that's more of a recent realization, is buying way too much stuff. Uh, filling my life with unnecessary clutter. Spending so much money on video games on technology on things that the moment you buy them they're already outdated and uh the it's, uh, being kind of a accomplice to this industry that always creates a new want always tells you well the device that you currently have that's you can't use that anymore it's you you have to go with the times get just get the new model and it, this happens, in, of course, in the car industry, uh, which I'm quite uh, um, oblivious to. I don't, I don't really care about cars. I don't look at cars. It's, it really has not much value. As long as it drives me from A to B and it's, it's a safe thing, then that's fine with me. I don't care if it's purple or yellow or if it has scratches or not. But with technology, this is a whole different thing. And uh, just right before Easter, I uh, sold uh, all my video games and uh, game consoles. And I was just shocked. And I felt guilty that I spent so much money on that instead of helping other people. And instead of giving uh, my possessions away. To, again, to just apply the simple stuff that Jesus asks his, his disciples to do. You know, here's your problem. You are rich. Go and sell all your stuff and give it to the poor and then come back to follow me. That's how simple Jesus puts it. And I always felt that was a message for someone else. Until at one point you get sick and tired of being surrounded with stuff you don't use. And it clutters, not, not, it clutters up not only your, your house, but also your mind. And in a certain way, also your soul. And Well, perhaps it's an insight that required me to grow older, to see the, how relative everything is. 
And when you were, when I was young, I was, I was always collecting stuff. I had a huge stamp collection, a coin collection. I was collecting Star Wars miniatures. I've been collecting Lego. Uh, there was always something to collect. And now I, what I want to do is I want to collect moments, experiences, um, where I, I want to collect joy. I want to give, bring joy to people. That's what I want to collect for the rest of my life. And, uh, and those moments are, have a value that won't go, that won't go down. <laughs> those moments of joy are, I think, eternal. They last. They can, they can change you and they can change the world for good. And, uh, and that's a much better investment, I think, than the latest, greatest, hippest new device or game that I don't even have time for. So it's... Uh, I regret it, and at the same time, um, this regret brought me to a whole new lifestyle that brings me so much joy. So, um, Another thing that I regret is not paying attention to my health enough, especially in the first years that I was a priest. It's not, never been something that was that mm, stimulated or uh, encouraged in my family. Uh, my father had a job where he was just sitting at a desk all the time. And um, I've done a bit of sports, but it wasn't really something... It wasn't that important in my life. And uh, especially in seminary and later on in the first few years as a priest, I'd grown so heavy and I was unhealthy and I was always out of breath. Uh, but also there was a mental... Um, a, st- uh, a mental uh, no, mental health problem I wouldn't say that perhaps a spiritual health problem where it's just the fact of not really taking care of myself and taking care of my health um, can also uh, have a nefarious influence on your spiritual well-being on your mindset I was always unhappy and Stressed. Oh, the stress in my life. I've, I've wasted years and years of my life, I think, of my lifespan just because of stress. And uh, I think the, the, the day that I started running, that's where everything started to change. And I still have some videos of those first runs that I, my first runs ever uh, on completely the wrong type of shoes. And I, uh, but I, I got, I just had this bug and it want, I wanted to run more. And so I did a couple of half marathons and a few marathons. I'm walking past my, uh, my um, movie theater here on my left. It's the, one of the big new squares of the city. And the stores are just closing, so people are going home. Like the, the Motorinos. But most people here are on bikes. There are, well, I would estimate, at least 500 bikes or 600 bikes on this square alone. <laughs> uh, on a regular day, there will be more than 1,000, 1,500 bikes here easily. Uh, there's, there's an entire row on both sides here in front of the library, the big library here on my right, that can host at least 500 bikes just for the library. <laughs> I love that about my country. So, um, running, I and it's something I need to always. It's, it's never something that you 
established once, once and for all. Um, I've had moments uh, where I would forget about my health again and I would lose um, my stamina, etc., and I'd start again. But the joy that I know um, a healthy body gives me and the, 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 um, the good that I experience when I walk or when I run is something that makes me come back to that uh, always. There's one of my um, uh, resolutions for for uh, the next couple of months is to to be outside as much as I can. Now, one of the reasons I think that I had this vitamin D deficiency problem is just being at the computer for too long, um, investing way too much energy in work, and not enough in health. Not it's just a matter of priorities. And so I'm I'm super. That's a that's not a regret. Well, in a way, it's also linked to a regret that I've worked too hard. I've, I've worked, I've done too much by myself. Uh, out of probably a, again, a lack of, of, of well-thought-out priorities, but perhaps also a desire to try to control everything myself, uh, not being able to hand over work to other people or to invest in in uh, other people to do work for me um, so that I can focus on work that fits me and that I can do really well and that I'm not just good at but that also has a certain unique value. There are things that I can do really well but other people can do it as well uh, and sometimes even better. Then there are things that I'm really good at that almost no one else does or knows how to do. And it's only, again, it's only recently that I've started to let go of my um, will to be in control and do everything myself and, um, and daring to invest, even though it costs money. A, a good example is um, right now, actually this evening, um, normally last year I would have been editing. I would have been sitting behind the, my Avid computer screens two screens and i would be editing a tv show that has to be um has that will go into uh uh, final editing tomorrow morning and oftentimes last year i spent the entire night editing and it was terrible and afterwards i was always very proud of the result but i remember perhaps even sharing on the on the walk that from now on I would no longer do that, and I would uh, I would hire an editor to do that part of the work for me, because my joy is in interviewing people and going out there and filming things. I like to film. I like to. I'm a visual person. There's a waterfall here on my left. Well, waterfall. It's just uh, the water goes to a lower level here under the the city uh, gate. Why you? There's this, this watery smell in the air. <laughs> um, let me turn to the left here. It's just one of those nice little med- medieval houses with the red windows. And there was a, an old lady behind a laptop. <laughs> That's definitely not medieval. Um, so the uh, uh, decision to to hire someone to do the editing for me helps me to do what I'm currently doing. 
I walk outside, I record an episode of The Walk, and I share my thoughts about getting older, etc. And I would not have, this would have not been possible had I tried to do everything and just, yeah, I would have saved, what is it, 1500 bucks if I'd done it myself. But then that would have cost me an entire week. Not to mention that it's the, the week be after, after Easter. And so I've, I've had a, one of the busiest weeks of the year as a priest. And I, I just, I can't imagine that I would get my computer editing right now. So uh, that's another lesson that I learned is try to delegate work when you can when, and when you have the resources to do that. And trust that if you focus on what you really do well and what you can do like no one else, ultimately will also bring back revenue, will bring in new resources that will help you to grow and to continue to do that. And I never thought that I, that only one year later, I'd be already at this stage. And so I'm, again, I'm proud of that, uh, that it's not just an insight, but we, we made some decisions that made it happen. Same is true for the team, of course. Uh, at Tridia, working with Inge and uh, Martin on a regular basis now, um, and having this organization that, uh, where everyone has uh, his or her own role is, uh, is so much better than last year. And it's only one year later. It's, it's awesome. Um, another regret that I have not being assertive enough and depending too much on other people's expectations. I, I already mentioned that when I was talking about uh, the uh, pilgrimage to Santiago. Um, it's, it's, it's not completely gone, this, this uh, ref- reflex of, of looking at what other people think of me. Um, but I think the people pleaser in me has learned a lot in the past few years. And it started with just the awareness, and I really credit this podcast for that. Talking about the things that I went through and then realizing while talking that actually my biggest issue was uh, this, this fear of other people's opinion about me and sometimes criticism that could hurt me so much. <laughs> like one negative email would destroy the, the merits of, of a thousand uh, positive emails and positive comments, and I think over the over the years I've grown. I've, tr- I've grown tremendously. I've become. I have become much more assertive, um, and it's not assertiveness in, in in a sense of aggression, but it's it's base is built on confidence that what I do is good enough, and that it's not other people that determine whether it's good enough. By the way. It's not uh, up to anyone but God to ultimately decide whether this is whether I'm doing what I'm supposed to do or not. And it's it's very difficult to judge from the outside about someone else, someone else's efforts. Something something we do all the time. And sometimes we are in a situation where we need to judge other people and 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 evaluate their the quality of their work and whatnot. Even then, you cannot really judge the core of what's going on in other people's lives. And it's something between them and God. And uh, that's been a tremendous help to realize that. That when I have the feeling, in my, and, and I'm, uh, 
I, I, my conscience tells me that I'm doing my best to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and that is enough, that's all that matters, and all the rest kind of falls away and becomes irrelevant and something you can forget much easier. Um, so that is, um, it's, uh, again, it's a discovery that came very late in my life. That's one of the joys of getting older. <laughs> Things don't matter as much as they used to. Um, and then uh, another big regret is my <laughs> kind of eclectic nature. It's also it's a, it's a downside of being creative. It's always thinking about so many things at once. And uh, my regret is that in the past I would get distracted so often by the squirrels, by everything that I wanted to do, that I thought I could do, without the discernment that is required um, to determine whether you should do something, whether it's not that you can do something or that it is a good idea uh, per se, but is it something that is required now? And, you know, God created a universe with a with an innumerable amount of stars and star systems. And yet the only little rock that truly mattered to him and on which he focuses all his attention and love is Earth. It's, it's crazy. The focus of God is incredible. And, and it's an example for us. Don't get distracted by this infinite amount of possibilities but focus on what is truly important uh, and what truly matters and that can be a small thing it doesn't have to be big um, so the, the the lack of focus is something I regret and again it's one of the fruits of getting older and learning from my mistakes that I've gradually imperfectly but still I have mastered the art of focusing and making choices and there's one consolation for a creative mind like I have and that is there will always be time enough later in eternity to do the things that I can do today or that I don't choose to do today I, I remember until this moment something that um, <laughs> the rector of the seminary in Belgium used to say I loved movies even back then. And I think I just came back from Back to the Future 2, which I saw in a dubbed French version. Uh, <laughs> Le retour au futur. Avec, uh, <laughs> um, and I, I was raving about that movie. And I said to him, I, I was Dutch, so I, <laughs> I was very informal always with the rector and the other people at the university and at the seminary. I was like, you should go and see that movie. That's so cool. Why don't you never go to a movie? How can you understand young people if you never go to the movies? I was just going on and on like that. And I remember he said, oh, Father, oh, I wasn't Father yet. Well, Roderick, you know what? I'll make it up to you. I'll go see that movie um, in the first 20 years of my eternity. <laughs> I'll just take 20 years off and I'll just watch all the movies that you wanted me to see. All right? <laughs> but right now I don't have the time, nor the will to do that. And it, it, it was such a funny way of looking at things. And, 
And perhaps it's true, you know, perhaps that is why, um, why life, why, why eternal life is eternal. Because creativity, true creativity is always without boundaries. There's not a single painter in the world that will one day say, now I've painted everything. There's nothing left to paint. Yeah, there may be a moment where there's no inspiration, but I don't think that there is a poet or a musician or a dancer or uh, any type of creator that will say, well, I think I've done it all, you know. I'm no longer, there's nothing left to create. No, creation is infinite, at least in its scope, in its, in its vision. And so I'm never bored that during our eternity we'll, we'll ever get bored. I, I find it hard to be bored in this life, let alone, you know, in a life that is no longer constrained by our, or constricted by our limitations and our sins and our, our physical limitations. I think it, we're going to have such an amazing time in eternal life. So, again, um, the, the fear of missing out has been plaguing me for years, especially in these early days of social media. The fear of missing out. Well, in light of eternity, the fear of missing out is completely ridiculous. Because everything you miss now, you'll have plenty of time, eternity, to catch up on it and probably we'll have other things to do that are even better but just in in theory you know why worry there is life is about choices and if you do one thing you can't do another thing if you go visit your mom you can't go to the movies if you choose to read a book you can't play a video game but choice is not just something that robs you from an experience or something valuable but it brings you value that may go beyond the value that another thing may have brought you. Or not. You may make mistakes, but that's not a problem because our lives are eternal. And there will always be new opportunities. And if you let go of this fear of missing out, that's probably where you will actually find what truly matters and what is of real value. And the more you focus on that, the less you will feel this anxiety. Of, of not having what you wanted to have or not finding what you're searching for. Focus on, 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 on the essential and all the rest. You know, it will come after, afterwards or, or not. doesn't matter. Well, okay, <laughs> that's about it. What am I going to do in the next 50 years? You know what? That is completely up to God in a certain way. I have no idea how long I have to live from now on. Um, <laughs> proof of that was a very dramatic thing that happened um, right before Easter. Our sacristan, uh, the, the main sacristan of the, of the Holy Cross Church here on my left, I'm almost home, um, he's 58 years old. Um, he uh, took hours and hours of his time to prepare the Easter celebrations and the Holy Week celebrations. Um, Wednesday after Easter, he was going to uh, get a minor heart surgery to declot, to get some, uh, some, you know, open the arteries a little bit more. And he died on, on uh, 
Holy Saturday, right before the Easter Vigil. He died alone, he was at home, um, and probably of a heart attack or a heart condition. At 50, and the day after, on Easter, he would have turned 59. That's only nine years older than I am. Uh, great guy. And it, uh, of course, it was a huge shock and uh, all, the, all the sacristans came together with me and, and I, I talked about it in my homily. And uh, it was a very, very impressive and solemn celebration of the Easter Vigil. I've never really experienced something like that. And it's, it's kind of where the story of Easter becomes real I and mean, becomes so close to home because it's all about you know death of a loved one and then the hope of uh, of seeing each other again uh, how can you celebrate easter if you don't believe in the resurrection how can you overcome the death of a dear of a of a someone you love without hope that this is not the end and so wow it was amazing but it also um without anxiety reminded me of the fact that our lives are short and most of my life is over is behind me and 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 i'm very grateful every time every birthday i'm grateful of the years behind me uh, because a lot of them have been filled with grace and there may be difficult years before me and perhaps a lot perhaps just a few but what i ask for what i pray for on on a moment like this when i <laughs> turn another decade is give me the grace to live every day um, in in the joy of knowing that i'm walking exactly where i need to walk that i am where exactly where god wants me to be at this time in my life and if that is the case does it really matter how long you live or how fast life, go, life goes by? Do your ailments, the physical problems of getting older, do they truly matter? It's all so secondary compared to the, the one question that merits your time and your, your meditation. <laughs> and that is, am I where I should be? And, and is God with me? And if that's the case, and all the rest is really irrelevant. Because that's ultimately where you will be for eternity. That's it, 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 heaven is being where God wants you to be in his love. And it's to be there with God. And hell is the opposite. It's being where God certainly has never wanted you to be. And where he can't be. Where he can't come. Because you have closed the door. And let's hope that that will never be the case for any one of us. But let's hope that we all can already start now living this life that we will live for eternity. And if we do that, yeah, that's going to be a good life. And it's going to be another good year. Thanks for listening to... I'm rambling, am I, am I not? Thank you so much for uh, accompanying me on this last walk of my 40s. And uh, tomorrow, I'll be 50. <laughs> And I hope that it's going to be the first day of a lot of good days ahead. All right. Tridio.com, patreon.com slash fatheroderick helps out. We're starting our fun drive today. And we're going to do that for the next 50 days all the way to Pentecost. And we hope that you help us to, uh, to follow the movements of the Holy Spirit. 
Couldn't do it without you. Take care and God bless.